Well, there was a guy, there's always that guy, right? There was a guy who absolutely loved dogs, loved them. He dedicated a lot of his life to dogs. He uh, wrote about dogs, he talked about dogs, he trained dogs, he walked with, talked to dog owners about dogs. He was a dog lover, extraordinaire. Well, one day he decided to pour a, a new sidewalk in his yard, right in front of his house. And his neighbor was watching out the window as he was doing all this work. And, and as he smoothed out that last square foot of cement and went in his house, a large dog appeared. And he walked right through the fresh cement. And the man came out of the house a few minutes later just to check on his work and sees the dog prints and he mutters under his breath and he goes and gets his trowel and he fixes it all up. And he decides, you know, maybe I need to put a little fence around it. So he goes to get some twine and a few little posts to put up. And by the time he gets back, there's dog tracks in his cement again. Now he's getting really mad. But he gets his trowel and he smooths it all over again, gets it all in place, puts a little twine fence up, hoping that keeps the dog out of there. He goes in the house and sure enough, it wasn't a matter of five minutes or less, the dog walked right under the twine and walked right through his fresh cement and now he was really, really upset with this dog. He went and got his trowel, he smoothed it all over again and he went out and this time he just sat on the porch and watched. And in just a matter of minutes, here came this great big dog and it sat down right in the middle of the fresh concrete and looked at him. The man got up, walked in the house, got his gun, and came out and shot him dead. Oh, you dog lovers, get over it. Shot him dead. His neighbor's horrified. He's been watching all this through the window and he comes out, I can't believe what you just did. Nobody loves dogs the way you love dogs. I thought you loved dogs. And the guy looks at him and he thinks for just a moment and he says, well, I do. I, I do love dogs, but that's in the abstract. I don't like dogs in the concrete. I thought you'd go, ugh. That went better than I thought. The abstract versus the concrete. We love a lot of things in the abstract, but we have a lot of things that we think we love in the abstract we don't like in the concrete. My topic today is about one of those things. The title of my message is simply, Get Out of Jail Free. Because what we're talking about is a get out of jail free card, basically. But the reality of it is, we have it available to us. It's there for us. God tells us about it. He tells us how to receive it. And he also says, but if you don't do this, I'm sorry, you don't get this. Get out of jail free card. One of the things that we feel very certain about in the abstract as Christians, sadly, but when it comes to the concrete, we hedge a lot. And that's this thing called forgiveness. We sang a lot about forgiveness today. How a righteous, holy God rescued a bunch of sinners like us by going and dying on a cross for our sins that we might be forgiven. An amazing love that we sang about. That amazing love that now is available to every one of us. That amazing love that dwells in every one of us. That amazing love that God wants us to not only receive, but then to extend to others. And when I read through a number of different scriptures, I come to this very clear conclusion 
because God is so clear on this. He says, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. Now that messes with a lot of our theology probably. You may have prayed the Lord's Prayer a billion times. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. Did you ever think about what those words really said? Forgive us as we forgive. What if I don't forgive them? Well, we'll look at some scripture today and the answer is he says he's not going to forgive us. Now that's should get our attention. Got my attention. We need to forgive. We love to hear about it in the abstract, but when it hits really close to home, it's kind of in the concrete now and we're not so sure. Relationships are always under attack. Have you discovered that? Always. And it doesn't matter how intimate or close the relationship is. It can be a casual relationship and it'll be under attack. And it can be our spouse that we're married to and it will be under attack. Constantly. Now relationships need to be understood this way. They are not built on a standard of perfection. Thank God they're not built on the standard of perfection. But they, what they are built on is our willingness to ask for forgiveness and our willingness to forgive others. That's what relationships need to be built on. That's the standard. We all mess up and everybody else messes up. Eventually, we're going to make somebody else hurt or pained or upset with us. And eventually, somebody else is going to do the same to us. Now, I know we're not to pick up an offense and we're not to give an offense. Well, the reason God says that is he knows we're not good at forgiving. But he says, you need to forgive. And if we receive the love of God... And we realize out of that love, he died on a cross to forgive us. We, as true Christians, should not be able to not forgive others. It should flow naturally out of us. I believe he, when he says this, you know, I can't forgive you, I, I think he knows in our hearts. If we've truly accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, if we truly understand the great love that he had in forgiving us, we'll forgive others. And if we don't forgive others, what's really in our heart? Relationships are constantly calling on us to forgive or receive forgiveness or give it. One or the other. You know why? It's not easy. It's not easy. Anybody notice that? It's not easy. Ever said things or thought things like, I'm never going to forgive them for that. Or, you know what? I don't think I can forgive them for that. How many times do I have to forgive them for the same thing, for crying out loud? It's not easy. Why isn't it easy? One, first of all, it's not natural. Our old man, when I say old man, I mean that old man who was a sinner, a slave to sin before we got saved. That old man, the natural thing was pride. My pride keeps me from wanting to forgive anybody and let them off the hook. That's why it's not easy. It goes against that old nature. But we have a new nature in Christ. We're new creations in Christ. We have the love of the Lord in us. We've received this great gift of salvation and forgiveness from God. And out of gratitude, we should forgive others. But it's not easy because it's not natural. And not only is it not natural, it is not fair. You ever think of it that way? Forgiveness is not fair. It's kind of like grace. We don't deserve it. We can't hardly earn it at all. 
It's just not fair. We want justice. Someone hurts me, justice declares that they need to suffer. If you make me feel miserable, I'm going to make you feel miserable one day longer. Justice. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But we have Jesus. We have grace. We have forgiveness. And we've been forgiven and we're called to forgive others. My title, Get Out of Jail Free. We'll see that without forgiveness, prisons are formed. And forgiveness is the key to getting out of that prison that's formed. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 21 and 22 to you first. And I, I think this is a story a lot of you are familiar with. Jesus has been teaching. First he was some groups of people, lots of tribes and, or, or, or crowds of people. And then it seems like the focus becomes more towards his disciples. In Matthew 18, he starts out by talking about how do we handle when we have something against a brother or, or somebody sins against us and how to handle it in a right way. And then we get to verse 21 and 22. Then Peter enters into the discussion. And when Peter enters into the discussion, it's always fun. Because Peter's Peter. And he says this, <clears throat> Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Wouldn't you all like to know the answer to that question? Well, if you've read this, you know. Up to seven times, Peter says. Great, great, gracious Peter. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. How many times do I have to forgive this person? Now, if you're like me, you've probably said that to yourself about somebody. Maybe a whole lot of somebodies. You know, some people just have the same habit of doing the same thing that just irritates me or hurts me or causes me pain and discomfort. And it's like, God, Lord, again? Not this time. <clears throat> seven times 70. Peter answers his own question. Now, seven times. You have, if you understand the Jewish rabbi's teaching of that day, that seven times uh, gives greater emphasis to what Peter was probably thinking. In that, the time of the day of Jesus, the Jewish rabbis taught, you need to forgive somebody three times. <clears throat> and after the third time, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. You could retaliate. Man, <clears throat> some of that old Jewish teaching doesn't sound so bad. But here's Peter, magnanimous Peter. Lord, how many times do we have to forgive that same person? I know they only say three times, but I'm guessing at least seven, right? That's what I'd do because I'm so spiritual. And God just knocks him over with Peter. Not seven times. Seventy times seven. You can almost see Peter getting out his iPhone and turning it to the calculator mode and saying, 490, are you kidding me? And Jesus' whole point is, don't count. It's not 490. It's just continue to keep forgiving them as long as they keep sinning against you. There's no end to his forgiveness. Thank goodness. That's the standard he has set. I can go to my God and Savior and, and repent and be forgiven. He's not keeping track. He's not, I don't get a warning thing on my phone that says, Mike, you're getting close. The month's almost up. <clears throat> and you've almost reached your quota. Could I convince somebody to get me some water or I'm going to be coughing like crazy? <clears throat> Thank you. So Peter was surprised. He was probably taken back. 
And this quality of forgiveness is kind of like a quality of grace. It's undeserved, it's unmerited, and it is unfair. We don't deserve to be forgiven. Our mode of justice, our sense of justice, says forget it. We want to get even. Jesus doesn't stop there, though. He goes on and he's, he's going to tell, tell a story. I love when he tells stories. He gives us a picture to help, it, help us understand clearly. And in this story, it's kind of in two halves. The first half of the story is really focused on when we need forgiveness. And then halfway through, it transitions when we need to forgive someone else. So we're going to look at this. Start by, we'll start by reading in Matthew 18, verse 23. <clears throat> you read while I drink. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to pay or repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Now, we don't use that measure much. A talent doesn't mean much to most of us. A talent, in, that, in those days, and there was different weights for talents, but one of the, one of the uh, lexicons I was looking at said in, in the time of Jesus, in that part of the land, a talent was equal to 130 pounds. 130 pounds. And we don't know for sure how many talents of what he owed, but it was probably gold or silver. And let's just say silver because it's not quite as valuable. Whatever it was, it's more than this man could ever, 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 ever repay. I mean, to put it in common terms for us today, it'd be something like $416 million worth of silver. Gal, can you imagine owing that? Now if it was gold, now we're into the billions a debt that he couldn't possibly repay. So what did he do? He fell at the feet of the king. He prostrated himself at the feet of the king and pleaded with the king. And it's interesting that what he pleaded for wasn't for the debt to be forgiven. He just pleaded for more time so that I can repay the debt. And as he's there, the king, it says, the, the king is moved by compassion. And it says he releases him from his debt. So the king did not even just answer his request. He went way beyond his request. You know, when, when a person's on death row in our, in our judicial system, one of the things they do is continually appeal, and, and as time is running out, they look for a reprieve. And they wait for that phone to ring. And if it rings, the judge says, we're going to give him a reprieve. And all that means is, you don't get killed today. But we haven't canceled Eventually, justice will have to be carried out unless there's new evidence. A reprieve. This man didn't get a reprieve. He was just asking for a reprieve, and, and the king in his compassion said, No, no, I'm going to pardon you. You're free. The debt is gone. It's removed. He forgave him the debt. We think, wow, that's pretty interesting. But for us, it's a similar story. We owe the debt to God that there is no way we could repay. As sinners, a holy God cannot look on sin. He doesn't accept sin in our lives. 
the littlest of sins, as we call them little, or the biggest of sins, as we call them big. In God's eyes, it's sin. And once we've sinned, we are separated from God completely. And there's no way we can plead all we want for a reprieve. You know, the sentence for sin is death, according to the Scripture. And we can plead, and he puts it off, but it's coming. It's just a matter of when. But through Jesus Christ, he provided a way for our sins to be pardoned, forgiven, removed. And we, like this man, he came and pleaded, we just go to our Heavenly Father who loves us and repent and ask him for forgiveness. And he forgives us. To forgive is to cancel the debt. It's costly. It's costly. It seems easy because we get so, so quick to, oh God, thank you for convicting me of that. I repent. I am so sorry. I'll never do that again. Please forgive me. And we walk away knowing we've been forgiven. And that's great. But the problem with that is simply this. It seemed so easy, but it was costly. If every time you and I went to repent and ask God for forgiveness, we would have a vision of the cross of Calvary. If we would have a vision of Jesus Christ hanging on that cross, bleeding with a crown of thorns on his head, with that spirit hole in his side, nails in his hands and feet, laying, it's hanging there in agony, dying for my sin. That gives us a picture of the cost. It's costly. Forgiveness is costly. When we forgive someone else who has sinned against us, it's also costly. The reality is, when I'm going to forgive you, and I, I talk about this a lot in the Steps to Freedom in Christ, when I forgive you, what I am really saying is, I will accept the cost of the consequences of your sin against me, and I forgive you. I'll never hold it against you again. But it's going to cost me. Whatever hurt I had, whatever pain I had, I still had it. It's still real. But in true forgiveness, I can then go to the Lord and say, God, by your grace, I can handle the consequences of that sin. I choose to forgive. It's costly. Our situation is no different than this slave. Before we got saved, we're like this, like this slave. We have a debt. There is no way, no way we could pay, no matter how long we lived on this earth. And there's really three really practical, simple steps to, to forgiveness. When we need forgiveness, first thing is you've got to go to the person. Or if it's between you and God, you need to go to God. And when you go to God, you need to own the sin. You need to own the wrong. Not make excuses. Uh, not to give disclaimers. You know what? I did this. I said this. I thought this. Or I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I am so wrong. Forgive me. Will you forgive me? We've got to own it. It's our sin. I love it when somebody comes to me and say, gee, I didn't mean to hurt you. If I hurt you, will you please forgive me? Oh, if I didn't mean to? Yeah, I guess you're forgiven. That was probably deep from within their heart, wasn't it? No. Own it. And then ask for the forgiveness, the pardon. Then he goes into the second part of the story. Really where now is when we need to forgive others. In Matthew 18, starting at verse 28 through 35. But the slave, the one who had been forgiven, this debt that he could not pay, he had been pardoned completely, 
went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a few hundred denarii. And he seized him and he began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and he went and threw him in prison until he could pay back what was owed. So when his other fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved, and they came and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I have had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers. Notice, not prison, to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. In verse 28, we saw that after he had been forgiven of all this debt, he goes out and finds a slave who owed him a few denarii. A hundred denarii. I mean, in comparison, it's like owing somebody a billion dollars owing someone a billion dollars and getting your debt forgiven and this guy owes you a Big Mac and you put him in prison because he can't buy you one. It's nothing in comparison. And notice the Lord is saying to him, all that I forgave you of, the compassion I had for you and the love that I had for you, it should have been normal for you to go and extend that same love and compassion and mercy to someone else. But you didn't. The, the picture of there with the words. Can you just see this? He goes up to the guy and the guy says, sorry, I can't pay. He grabs him by the throat and chokes him and says, until you pay me, we're throwing you in prison, period. No, please, give me time. I'll repay it all. No, prison. Throws him in prison. I've been forgiven everything, all my sin by God. And yet I can't forgive a brother or sister in Christ who's hurt me. God's saying, if the love of Christ is in you, how can you not forgive? There's a quote from a poet. He's a German poet named Heinrich Hein. And he put it this way. My nature is the most peaceful in all the world. All I ask is a simple cottage, a decent bed, good food, some flowers in front of my window, and a few trees beside my door. But then, if God wants to really make me happy, he would let me enjoy the spectacle of six or seven of my enemies dangling from those trees. I would forgive them all the wrongs they have done me from the bottom of my heart. For we must forgive our enemies, but not until they're hanged. Heinrich Hein. A lot of us act like that's the way we think. I can forgive them, but they're going to hang for a while. After they've hung long enough, after they've been punished, then I'll forgive them. We want them punished. It's natural. We want them to pay for what they've done to us. It's natural. And this friend who owed this guy the denarii, really, he, he did the same thing as this man had done before the king. 
He prostrated himself at his feet, if he could get out of the grip of his throat, and he pleaded for time to repay. Same request, totally different response. And when the king is informed of this, he is irate. And it says he was turned over to the torturers. Now, I don't want to make too big a deal out of this because a little bit of it's speculation. But in those days, debtors were thrown in prison. Criminals were handed over to be tortured. And in this case, he takes this, this man who he had one time pardoned completely. And now because he did not exhibit the same love and compassion towards another man, he takes and turns him over to the torturers to be tortured and tormented. And then it would have been really nice if verse 35 would have not been there at all. But it is. And there's a lot of people who try to explain it a lot of different ways. If you look in the different lexicons, I had to have a hard time finding a lexicon who even wanted to deal with the Scripture. But here's what it says. My Heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother about it for everything. Now, I'm going to let you wrestle with that Scripture however you would like. Was he saved? Did he lose his salvation? All of that stuff. You, you can decide that. But the reality is, we're going to be turned over to the torture. We're going to be allowed to be tortured. And I don't want to spiritualize that. I just want to make it real and applicable. What the heck does that mean to me if I don't forgive you? It means I'm going to be tortured and tormented. How am I going to be tortured and tormented? Thrown in a prison. What kind of prison? I'm not going to go to prison if I don't forgive you. Well, I'm going to go into a prison, that I, a self-imposed prison. I'm going to go into a prison and I'm going to put you in prison. I'm going to give you the silent treatment. There's your prison. I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to pretend like you don't exist. And I'm going to punish you until I feel good about it. A prison. Torment. I'm going to avoid you at all costs. I see you coming. I'm going that way. If I see you across the street, I'm going back that way. I'm going to be looking the other direction every time we pass each other in the hall. I'm going to avoid you, make you feel really unimportant. I'm going to put you in that prison of avoidance. And if only one of those work, then I'm going to put you in a prison where I'm going to verbally let you have it. You no good loser. How could you? How dare you? How could you hurt me? How could you say those words? How could you gossip about me? How could you? How could you? How could you? And then when I feel good enough about myself, I'll let you just live in that jail that I put you in. Are you holding somebody prisoner right now? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Right now. Have a few people hanging on those trees in the backyard and kind of enjoying it? It's sad. It's common. If we're not careful... We act that way and we do those things. And we are opening ourselves up to torture. We need to forgive from the heart. The tortures that we experience are things like anger, bitterness. They just start to eat away at you on the inside. Frustration, ill will, hatred just starts to grow. It's like a cancer. The torturers, 
They eat away. Spiritually, they eat away. Physically, they will eat away at us. These tortures will suck every bit of life out of you if you don't do something about it. And God says, I've given you a get-out-of-jail-free card. Forgive them as I have forgiven you. Forgive from your heart. Let them out of that prison. Let yourself out of that prison. Lewis Meads, who writes lots of articles and does a lot of ministry in the area of forgiveness, is one of his quotes that I've used a lot, again, in the Steps to Freedom in Christ. He's the one that gets credited for saying, when I genuinely forgive someone from my heart, I set a prisoner free, and then I discover that the prisoner I set free was me. When we hang on to our bitterness and unforgiveness, we suffer more than we think we're putting suffering on them. When we finally realize, you know, I need to just let this go. I need to forgive them from my heart. I need to not give them a reprieve. I need to pardon them. I need to say, I forgive you. That doesn't mean we're saying it was okay. That doesn't mean we say it, put ourselves in place to be hurt again. It doesn't mean any of that. It simply means I forgive you. It's gone. You owe me nothing. The debt has been paid. The word forgiveness, if you look it up in the original language that's used in the scripture here, it means basically to let go of, to give up something. I'm going to let go of my anger, my bitterness, my frustration. I'm letting go of my rights for justice. And another part of the word, depending on how it's used, gave, gave meaning to this, this releasing and freeing of yourself. So this word has this dual meaning that when I forgive, I'm letting go. I'm letting you go. I'm letting you set, setting you free. But at the same time, it means I'm releasing myself. I'm free. Oh, if you've held bitterness and hatred in your heart and unforgiveness in your heart, when you finally forgive, you know what he's talking about, that feeling of free. It's like, thank you. And the reality is, bitterness and unforgiveness is sin. Now it's my sin. I own it. And it's between me and God. And God has instructed us so clearly I have forgiven you, therefore you, out of love and compassion, should forgive others. And he says, if you don't, I won't. Some other definitions to mean, or meanings for forgiveness that I like, it's like, like meeting someone again for the first time. You ever wished in a relationship you could get a do-over? If you're human, you've probably thought that way. Oh, I'd like a do-over on that one. Forgiveness really is like re-meeting that person for the first time. I, I'm, I'm just letting it go. Again, it's not saying it's all right. It's not giving approval for what they've done. It's not saying you can't set boundaries. It's not any of those things. It's just saying that's gone. To start over by giving people a fresh start. To give grace to another and freedom to ourselves. Disengaging the person from the hurtful act. All of those are in aspects of forgiveness. We need to remember that we're like the man who could never, ever repay that debt. We stood before a holy God who out of his compassion, motivated by his grace, sent his son Jesus to pay off the debt for us. Colossians 3.12, it says this, As those who have been chosen by God if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have been chosen by God. And he says, you who have been chosen by God, 
holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should, so, so also should you. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We can put up and come alongside those who have offended us when they wrong us because Jesus has forgiven us. And because he's forgiven us out of that gratitude, we should forgive those. It's a challenging story that Jesus told. And if you look through the scripture, you'll see he says similar things in other places. Which really, I hope, challenges us to just ask ourselves a few questions. Where am I today? Where am I today? Have I forgiven? Are, those people, are there people that I need to go forgive? Or are there people I need to go to and ask them to forgive me? Do you need to ask somebody for forgiveness? Do you need God's forgiveness? You know, so oftentimes we wonder where God is. Why can't we hear him? He doesn't seem to be speaking. And a good place to start is, God, search my heart. Show me, is there any wicked way in me? Convict me of that sin. Grant me repentance that I may be forgiven. He'll show you those sins. He wants intimate relationship with us. He'll show us those sins. He will grant us repentance. And he will forgive us if we respond. God's forgiveness is what equips us to forgive others. Not only equips us, it requires us to forgive others. I want to close with one more quote from C.S. Lewis, who said this, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you, in me. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we, we thank you that you are slow to anger, that you are patient and merciful, but we understand you are also just, that Jesus, your son, had to go and die on that cross for our sins to be forgiven, that the cost was paid through his life, his death, his resurrection. Lord, I pray that you would work on our hearts, speak to our hearts, reveal to us if there be those that we need to forgive. God, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient that we can forgive. Your love for us enables us and requires us to forgive. God, reveal those people to us that we need to forgive. That we may not keep them in a prison, but we are not open to the tortures of a conscience. Lord, I praise you and thank you that the blood of Christ paid the price for all sin. Lord, I pray you would, by your spirit, by your word, as a God who is a God of reconciliation, that you would lead and guide each one of us to take the steps necessary for reconciliation in relationships in our own lives. God, we count on you, we call out to you, and we cry out to you that there could be no unforgiveness in our hearts. There would be a wedge between us and intimacy with you. 
And we thank you, Father, that this is a prayer that you want to answer and that you will answer as we cooperate. And Lord, now I ask you to watch over each one, bless us as we go our different directions. God, we thank you for, for the, the Hoffs being back in Ballotin and reunited. God, we thank you for the opportunities we have as a body to send out people to different places to minister. And we thank you, God, for the fellowship that we have with our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ask you to bless our time of fellowship and bless the food that we will eat. In Jesus' name, amen.